0: We're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow Night gathers and now
1: my watch begins It shall not end until my death I shall take no wife Hold no lands Father no children I shall wear no crowns and win no glory I shall live and die at my post I am the sword in the darkness I am the watcher on the walls I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life in honor to the Night's Watch. For this night, and all the nights to come.
0: Hello and welcome to still watching Game of Thrones Rewatch Edition. I'm your host, Joanna Robinson. Joining me Very fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Hello, Richard.
1: Hi, Joanna. This is, um, still rewatching?
0: Still rewatching Game of Thrones. <laughs> Eternally watching Game of Thrones. I mean, uh, you especially. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough.
1: Welcome to Joanna Robinson's 19th Game of Thrones
0: podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, Richard and I, uh, if you, if you're new to this podcast, we like to cover series, di- various TV series, dive deep into them. We are obviously going to be covering season eight of Game of Thrones, which premieres in April. But in the lead up to, we thought we would take a look back at some previous seasons of the show, all seven previous seasons. And we know that some of you are going to be rewatching the show all the way through because you were just that into it. Or maybe you've already completed your rewatch and you're ready for season eight. Some of you may not have all that time, and so you might want to guide to just a few episodes to hit to get the full picture before we dive into season eight, the final season of Game of Thrones. The what? So- <laughs> season eight, the final season of Game of Thrones. Oh. Um, so... Uh, I don't know if you had heard that this is the last one, Richard. This is it.
1: Well, I was going to joke that like, oh, yeah, we're doing season eight. So we can just keep doing it for seasons and seasons.
0: (laughs) Um, Better late than never, I guess. Um, So we the point of this podcast is to go through sort of our top 15, like the best, most essential episodes of Game of Thrones. We're going to hit them kind of quick. We're going to go through them all. We've got some fun interviews for you, which is something we like to do when still watching. It's going to be a really fun little guide through the seven seasons of Game of Thrones. just want to emphasize a couple things about this list. Number one, it is not in order of best to worst or worst to best. We're doing it chronologically so that you can sort of watch along as you listen along with us. So we're starting in season one, going through season seven, with one exception. <laughs> to complicate it, our our last episode, number fifteen, is going to be what we consider the best episode of Game of Thrones. We're going to keep that a mystery. That one's going to be not chronological. It's just yeah. the best.
1: It's the episode where the gang goes to Hawaii and Screech gets the idol, and they kind of get cursed. And I think they're that's like, clearly yeah, the best episode. Yeah, and
0: they're like, why is Mister Belding even here? <laughs> right. uh, who invited <laughs> Belding? So yeah, so <laughs> that's coming later. But first, we are going to do 1 through 14 in chronological order, the best, most essential episodes of Game of Thrones, starting with, today we are talking about, surprise, season 1, episode 1, Winter is Coming, the pilot, which first aired April 17th, 2011, written by Weiss and Banioff, and directed by Tim Van Patten. Um, a challenge that I have set for myself, uh, for every episode of this is I'm going to try to recap the episode for you in 15 words or fewer or less. Uh, so here's what I got for this episode. White Walkers exclamation mark the exclamation mark does not count for a word count. Jon Aaron Dead, Ned Hand of King, Daenerys gets married, Bran falls down. So that's, yeah, I uh, guess you couldn't
1: have fit how were we sleeping on Robb Stark so long <laughs> in, into <laughs> that. Because I rewatched this for the first time, I think, since, eight, you know, for eight years ago. And I was like, yeah. how the hell was I so invested in Jon Snow when Robb Stark was right there? I've since caught up on the Richard Madden train because of um, Bodyguard, but like, ugh.
0: Richard Madden is so, so good in this. All right, so we're going to get into our maybe broader thoughts about why this is an essential slash best episode of Game of Thrones. But before that, we have like a few little awards we want to hand out for this episode to maybe refresh your memory on why it's so great. We're going to start with our episode MVPs. I'm going to go with first an obvious MVP, and that's got to be those direwolf pups that they find, I mean, this, I I feel very Stefan about this episode. This, it has everything. Bare chested boys, (laughs) puppies, uh, incest, murder. Like this is, this is great. But, uh, dire pups are my obvious MVPs of this episode. Richard, who's your obvious MVP?
1: Uh, I'm going to say Rob Stark holding those puppies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yikes. Um, Yikes. Uh, and then we're going to do with a sneaky MVP. And for this one, I gotta go with, uh, Waymar Royce, who's one of our first deaths in Game of Thrones. First shot of Game of Thrones is Waymar Royce and his two companions. This is a Night's Watchman. He's sort of the like snotty, rich boy Night's Watchman. And I, I just really liked it because you kick off with just someone like, these are, you know, ostensibly heroes, but this this guy is such a jerk, and you're like, oh, um, this isn't my, your standard fantasy, right? I love meeting Ray- Waymar Royce. It's a name that just stuck with me for years and years and years. So, um, that's that. Richard, who's your sneaky MVP?
1: Uh, it's tricky because, like, th- that's a really good pick. Um, I-, I kind of think that Viserys Targaryen, um, who's such a detestable character, uh, sets such a good tone for villainy on this show, mm-hmm. um, in a way that like maybe is not given enough credit. I mean, because you know he he's been dead for a long time. Spoiler alert! Uh, on in terms of the show's terms. So, but I I really enjoyed revisiting him this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean both both Viserys and Daenerys are working against some you know pretty hardcore wigs season 1 is is the like harshest wig season but <laughs> but but harry lloyd who's great who's been great in a number of other things i think he really is like a, a sneaky all-timer villain on on this show I, I like that pick
1: cuz he's not like over it's not too much it's just kind of fun and theatrical enough but it's not like overbearing the way that like in later seasons um certain other characters would get
0: Hmm. All right. And then, um, because Richard and I have both done theater in our lives, I thought I would set for us a little theatrical challenge for every one of these rewatch episodes and maybe for the final season as well, where we are going to pick our favorite quote from the episode and perform it somewhat dramatically. So yeah. <laughs> this, the, no way this can go wrong and offend no. every British, Scottish, Irish person that ever existed. So, um, here's mine from our friend Ned Stark. It goes like this winter is coming. So a classic, my, a classic.
1: Uh, what's, what's yours? Mine right? is one I'd forgotten and it, I, I picked it cause it's just so silly. But, there is no word for thank you in Dothraki. <laughs> <laughs> cause it's like, how <laughs> then do they function as a society? Like that's we're, we're, like, it's just such a heavy handed, like they're such tough people and it's like, but they don't, they don't say thank you ever. They don't even <laughs> thank gods or anything. Like it's just such a silly line.
0: That's a, that's a Jorah line. Oh yeah, sorry, that's Jorah.
1: Um, Daenerys' shifty protector.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, and then we want to do best dressed in this episode. Um, and as I was telling Richard before we started recording, for the first few episodes, best, the only best dressed candidate as far as I'm concerned is really Cersei Lannister. And I want to single out. The first look she wears as she walks into Winterfell, she's got this sort of, this is actually maybe my all-time favorite Lena Headey look on the show. She's It's like almost like a um 70s like disco look. She's got this giant fur collar and then her hair is sort of like small and back. And I don't know, she just looks so glam queen in this dirty, dingy northern courtyard. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great juxtaposition. Right. Yeah, how about you?
1: Um, I mean, I'm going to count puppies as accessories and once again say Rob Stark wearing puppies.
0: (laughs) Rob Stark draped in puppies. Great pick. Great pick. Um, and then the last thing we're going to do before we get to sort of like why we think this episode so essential is our, our favorite ship. And if you, I don't know, are new to fandom generally ship is when you sort of wish for two people or, we're giving ourselves a loophole and saying maybe even objects to get together in a in a show. Uh, so I am going to ship in this episode Ned and a bottle of shampoo, especially like pilot episode Ned that they shot before they reshot the pilot. You can tell which scenes they shot before they did all their reshoots because Sean Bean's hair is just like drenched in goo it's very very bad so i just want to give him a shower um who do you want to give a shower richard or rather
1: who do you want to ship with this <laughs> well i mean rob Stark. Gonna... no <laughs> no um i'm shipping me with getting my hands on a copy of the pilot that was filmed with jennifer ely as um yes. Gatlin, even yeah. though i love michelle Fairley in the show and we'll be talking about her um in a subsequent episode because i think that she gives such an underrated performance but like i'm just so curious what that other pilot looks like because they filmed it and then jennifer ely was like you know what i can't live Northern Ireland away from my kids for that long, so it wasn't like they fired her; she she quit. So I'm just very yeah. curious about what that sh- that looks like.
0: Yeah, they had a different. Uh, they had Jennifer Ely, who you know people might know from the BBC Pride and Prejudice, a lot of great stage shows, fantastic actress. um They filmed her as Catelyn, and then a the different actress as Daenerys. And I think the Daenerys recasting was just a matter of like this isn't the right person for the role. But Jennifer Ely, yeah. Left for different reasons. I am dying to see that pilot. There is only like a smidgen of footage that they used in a promo of a flashback, um, that's sort of out there and other, and, and then a few scenes in this episode. But other than that, it's under lock and key. I'm hoping it's part of some like massive, um, you know, Blu-ray set that they sell or something like that. I will say this, um, to to sort of wander into our larger, why is this a a best essential episode of Game of Thrones? This is an episode that I would really encourage people to rewatch because as little as we know about season eight, one thing we've been told is that the first episode of season eight, it has a major reflections to this episode. They're, they're really going to lean heavily on the pilot episode. And so like expect a million different callbacks in the first episode of season eight. Um, I also love the story of this pilot, because the first time they shot it, um, you know, they shot it, it was apparently, according to everyone who saw it, very bad. Uh And so they essentially reshot the whole thing. There's, like I said, a few scenes that made it in. And so... Just, like, the idea of what might have been, I don't know, you know, they had uh Tom McCarthy, who directed the Oscar-winning film Spotlight, and a number of other great films directed this pilot. So I just, I, you know, I've read a lot about why it was bad, a lot of it had to do with confusion around who was related to whom, what was even going on. So if you notice in this version that that you can find on on HBO right now, stuff happens like Jamie walks in to greet Cersei in King's Landing and says, "As your brother, I should tell you, like stuff like that happens where people are yeah. really, really that's, leaning on that's, how
1: yeah. Um, you know, that's his twin brother. What you know, it's our twin sister. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. But I actually think they do it pretty, pretty smoothly. You know, oh, like, they do, yeah. Worse, you know?
0: oh, absolutely. I think it's really smooth and it, and there's, you know, having just rewatched all of season one, there's so much um exposition they have to get through about the uh, about robert's rebellion about you know the hound in the mountain or whatever it is and you just have these great actors delivering these lines sort of while something else is going on you know some some exposition not just during sex but at other times like during the tourney or something like that. yeah sex position uh It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sophisticated, honestly, here in season one, and, and maybe they don't have as much time for that in later seasons. But I'm really impressed with how much they get, you know, you just, you just need like Aiden Gillen as little finger to sort of sneer it, and you're like all on board for whatever it is he's saying. Um, what, what yeah. did, like why would you say this is the best or essential episode?
1: Well, I mean, I think that from a more like meta like industry standard it, it was, or perspective rather, it's fascinating that HBO took this gamble. You mm-hmm. know, because yes, the books were popular, but they weren't Harry Potter. You know, they 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 they're they're much more they're they're dense, they're long, they're as you know, still unfinished, you know, uh, and 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 to do this hard fantasy series when HBO hadn't really done anything like that in the past, um it was, it was, you know, I guess they, they could look to Rome, but like, that was only a two season show. And I don't know. I just think that like, it's really wild that they took the, the swing and that it, that it connected so intensely. Um, and so it's fun to go back and watch this sort of almost quaint beginnings of all that, you know? Um, I do rewatching some of the earlier episodes. I did find myself remembering like, oh, when they had the book source material to go on, I mean, that, that, that the show is so layered and, and interesting and set up so much, um, and I think this episode, you know, as as pilots go and, you know, reshot pilots, uh, uh, it's, it's really strong. Um, so yeah, I was, it's, it's fun to just kind of dive back in and see, like, oh, all, all those people are dead now. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and to see, you know, Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams, who are huge stars as like little tiny babies. Yeah. And all of that is just, is really amazing. The terrible wigs, but the, uh, but the other things that like, are still the same, like the Winterfell crypt or anything like that. So yeah, and and just kind of amazing what they were able to do with a much smaller budget. Then you know you get shots of the wall that look, I think, amazing. You know, so it's just um, yeah, you're right. It's it's crazy. I I was, and it's such a different uh, time. That this show premiered. It's only, you know, 2011 doesn't feel that, that long ago. But, um, in terms of what t- the TV landscape looked like then, you know, um, where it wasn't like just Netflix <laughs> and Game of Thrones, which is sort of how it feels like now. It feels like HBO's entire success is clinging to this one gamble that they took back in 2011. So. There you go. Uh, All right. Anything else you want to say about this episode of Game of Thrones?
1: No. I mean, I think that, like, I think, yeah, people should definitely rewatch this episode because it got me kind of excited again about um, this world. Because I think that, you know, seven seasons in, storylines going in crazy directions, like, it can be – it's easy to sort of forget what initially – um, hooked to you about a series. And I, I, I watched this first pilot episode and then I went and read all the books. Um, so I was sort of in, so that this is really my origin with, with the whole world. Um, not actually the books. Like I started with this. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just a treat to be like, Oh yeah. Like here is how you do this kind of world building, uh, in a careful and interesting way. Um, and in that's cast beautifully and by beautiful, I mean, Richard Madden is Rob Stark holding puppies. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, we will talk again about, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, for our next episode. We'll talk about Ned Stark at least one, one more time before we're done with him. But, um, Sean Bean is Ned Stark. Like, I don't think you can really underplay how important he is for launching this series. Having rewatched all of season one, it's just like, you I, you just love him so much. Despite, you know, he, he kills a, like a teenager in this episode, a teenager who is right in telling the truth, by the way, about the White Walkers. Yeah. And in the next episode, he kills a puppy, and you're still just, like, all in on Ned Stark, because here is just, like, this honorable man who's trying to protect his family, and he doesn't want glory, and he doesn't want, you know, this – to come to this city and all the stuff that happens to him. And Sean Bean, who was, you know, obviously the most recognizable person on the show – it's just he's perfect in this part yeah so good yeah and
1: i think it's so important because if you if you think about the whole series um in in you know kind of zoomed out like all of its sort of moral grounding is connected to ned stark like like he is the sort of like center the genesis of any good that there is in this world you know or at least the representative of it Of obviously there are other like good and morally right characters but like without him sort of defining that um you know seven years later seven you know seven seasons later like the show feels i think a little bit more groundless you know and, and a little bit less um rooted in something that we can kind of connect to so i don't know i think it's a, a crucial character and and he's he's great at, at sort of defining it
0: and i think there's no it's no mistake that you know if you rewatch season seven which i will soon um there's so much ned stark stuff in that the kids are forever quoting their dad like it you know there's just so much ned the shadow that he casts across the whole series um and then specifically in these later seasons i think is you know as you say they run out of book material so they're Leaning more on what came before and in doing so, just really leaning on Ned's stuff. And like, it's always welcome to me whenever they want to quote Ned Stark. I'm here for it. So, but yeah, like, you know, if, if, if Jon Snow is our hero now, um, he's just trying to model himself after Ned with some, you know, more flexible, uh, practicalities that might allow him to keep his head, you know, whereas Ned lost his. So. That brings us to the end of this discussion of Season 1, Episode 1. Stay tuned for an interview with Esme Bianca, who played Roz the Prostitute, and find out the fun origin of that name. And also stay tuned to find out which episode we will be discussing next time. I'm Claire Fallon.
1: And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other
0: romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating.
1: And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday.
0: We here at Still Watching have a very special deal for our listeners that we're really excited to tell you about. If you are not already a subscriber to Vanity Fair, either to the print or the digital side, we just want to let you know we have a special 50% off offer running through April that's tied to Game of Thrones. So if you go to VanityFair.com slash Thrones, enter the promo code drones, you get fifty percent off. Okay, the standard deal is actually a really good deal. It's a whole year for fifteen dollars for both the print magazine and the digital option. Or you can get one year just digital if you don't want any print magazines coming to your house. Plus, you get this incredible tote bag. But with our promo, you get all of that for seven dollars and fifty cents. Seven dollars fifty cents for an entire year. Less than ten bucks for an entire year of Vanity Fair access. Plus the tote bag. I can't even get... I can't get over how good the tote bag is. So anyway, all of that happens. If you're deciding between whether or not to get, like, digital or print and digital bundled together, I just will let you know that we've had some incredible photographs in our magazine recently. So you might want to consider getting the print delivered to you because I don't know if you saw our sumptuous, beautiful Hollywood cover that had incredible photographs, um, some of your favorites on there, Timothy Chalamet, Chadwick Boseman, et cetera, et cetera, or... If you saw our style issue, which features the king in the north himself, Richard Madden, I mean, these photos, you're going to want them on your wall. I I I, I do. So anyway, go to VanityFair.com slash thrones, enter promo code thrones, $7.50, whole year, all of our Game of Thrones content, bring down the paywall, crash into Vanity Fair, enjoy what we have to say about Game of Thrones. Do it. Do it. are joined today by Esme Bianco, who played Roz, the prostitute who journeyed all the way from the pilot episode of Season 1 in Winterfell to King's Landing, rose up the ranks of Littlefinger's establishment, only to be brutally murdered by King Joffrey Baratheon in Season 3, Episode 6, The Climb. That episode aired on May 5th, 2013. So all these years later, Esme Bianco, how does it feel looking back at Game of Thrones?
2: Like the end of an era. Absolutely. Well,
0: we we are so excited to have you here on the show for a number of reasons, but one of which is that you were part of this pilot episode that never made it to air, and your scene is one of the only scenes that made it into the final version that did eventually go on air. So. What was it like working on that episode? What was it like working with director Tom McCarthy, who went on to win an Oscar for Spotlight, but never directed another episode of Game of Thrones? What is it like to be part of this artifact of Game of Thrones history?
2: Of course. um, I don't know if I've ever been referred to as an artifact before, but (laughs) I'm going to take it as a compliment. Absolutely. That, I mean, it feels like such a long time ago, and I'm actually trying to remember what year that was, and I feel like it was 2010, (laughs) which um, is a long time ago now. Um, It was, I mean, I had no idea what Game of Thrones was going to turn into at that stage. Um, I don't think any of us did. So... I had a great time. It was a lot of fun shooting that scene. I thought it was the only scene I was going to do um, in the show. You know, at that point it was still a pilot, so we had no idea where it was going. Um, and it was great working with Peter. Was wonderful, and it continued to be wonderful throughout the throughout the seasons that I worked with him. Um, and and it was fun. He just like made it really enjoyable. Um, you know, I don't remember intricate details of working with Tom, um, Tom McCarthy, but I remember it being a really, really pleasurable day. Um, just easy light, um, great chemistry with Peter who made the whole thing feel, you know, as comfortable as <laughs> a nude scene can feel.
0: And so I know you were only meant to be in that one scene. Is it true that you were referred to as yes. redheaded prostitute uh, in the script?
2: Oh, it was worse. I was the redheaded whore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it was actually George R.R. R. Martin himself who suggested that they give me a name. <laughs> so then, when they started writing um, further scenes for me, they gave me they gave me a name, which was quite a relief.
0: Oh yes, thank goodness, a name. Um, yeah. Your character is obviously a bit of an anomaly in these early seasons because you're one of the few characters that's a show-created invention. There's none of Roz on the page, obviously. Eventually, Mm -hmm. she becomes a bit of an amalgamation of other characters. But without that book support to understand who your character was, when do you feel like you really got a beat on who Roz?
2: Um, I think it came pretty early on. I went through quite a long Process um, auditioning for the part. I think I actually auditioned four or five times. And while the you know while I was auditioning through that process, the scene kept changing, and they were doing rewrites. And I think during that time, because it you know when it went on for a while, it gave me an opportunity to really like marinate in the character. And for me, she came very very naturally. It wasn't a difficult character to you know to work towards. It just she just organically, you know, popped up. It's like, Oh there she is <laughs> Which is always, you know, for me, that's always the characters that you love and that you stay really close to. Uh the ones that just sort of feel like an extension of yourself. Um and then I think as you know, as the seasons progressed and the writing obviously sort of led me down a certain path with the character, but it was almost like a symbiotic process between myself and the, and the um, showrunners, David and Dan, who also, you know, wrote a lot of the episodes. Um, and yeah, she just, she just evolved very naturally, I think. Um, and she was a pleasure <laughs> to work with, which sounds like really weird, doesn't it? it so I like just bizarre thing to say, but it, it's true. I had, I had a lot of fun.
0: Well, the, this scene in, in the, in the pilot episode does such a good job of, of letting us all know, you know, what this world we're stepping into is going to be. Um, You know, you are Mm -hmm. nearly almost entirely naked in the scene. It's, it's sexually. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Oh, I have a belt though. (laughs) I have a belt. (laughs) Um,
0: Given, you know, throughout, (laughs) I know you have a a background in in burlesque. Did that help you sort of feel strong and confident in approaching your first thing? being like.
2: Yeah. I mean, that definitely helped um, without, (laughs) without, out especially because i actually did start the scene um well i started the day should i say with more of a costume i sort of had um various bits of material draped around me and you know more jewelry and then gradually (laughs) you know i went in to see the director for costume approval they were like less of this and then i stepped on set and they were like ah (laughs) let's lose that material until literally i was left with the belt so i mean (laughs) <laughs> the fact that I had some um, experience in burlesque definitely <laughs> helped <laughs> with the with the with the clothes basically that take. To I body. love this. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think it helped that I had that like that part for me wasn't as much as a you know I was more comfortable. I already was so used to being you know pretty much fully naked in public um, that it. It meant that I could focus a little bit more on, um, you know, the other stuff without that being a distraction. Um, You know, having said that, I was still very nervous. Um, You know, I think think it's always natural when you're working on a new project to be nervous the first day on set. Um, But yeah, having having that background, I think it meant it was just like one less thing for me to worry about. I've
0: heard you say in the past, perhaps in defense of the nudity in Game of Thrones, or in defense of your scenes on Game of Thrones, that there's more to it than just pure titillation, that what we see in these brothel scenes is very revealing of certain characters like Tyrion or Theon, more specifically in season one, that they're unguarded in this sort of relaxed environment. And I was wondering if if that's something you you miss it all on the show because we mm-hmm. don't get much of it in later seasons.
2: Yes, very much. And I think, you know, I feel like they're maybe trying to do that a little bit with the gray worm. And, um, oh, Sandy. Yeah. Listen, thank you. I mean, literally I'm like everyone else. I can never name on the <laughs> yeah. show. People ask me like, I'm like the walking encyclopedia of game of Thrones. And I'm like, well, I'm just watching and trying to catch up, <laughs> keep up as best as I can as well. Um, But yeah, I think it gave this insight into the more, I I want to say, like everyday humdrum life of Westeros, because the majority of the characters in Game of Thrones are competing for the throne or they're like fighting for their family's heritage or, you know, the, the stakes are so high for the majority of the characters and they're going through, you know, massive drama be it you know fighting white walkers or trying to help your you know your friends baby survive whatever it might right. be um so you know and was is the stakes were so you know that's that's great and, all. <laughs> and of course the themes of game of thrones are very relatable even on a lesser scale <laughs> for most people um but i think that Ros gave this insight into just like the everydayness of the world that they that Game of Thrones and Habits, and you know, it gave characters an opportunity to talk about you know, the more humdrum <laughs> domestic everyday life issues that they're all dealing with. Um, and I think that that's why it gave like so much more insight, like we, we learned about, you know, Theon's insecurities very early through the scene that I had with him, where otherwise you might not see that, because he's like quite this arrogant Guarded character, at least he mm. was um, so you know I think it's just giving this a- additional dimension to characters where we see them, yeah like you said unguarded and almost you know literally and figuratively <laughs> uncensored right. um and learn a bit more about who they are as people beyond just this blind ambition that that sometimes is you know the the main face that they presenting
0: yeah and I, I love what you say about um learning about I don't know the quote-unquote smaller people smaller concerns of of Westerners yes. um yeah. I, I also love that Roz represents and a lot of early season characters represent the sort of victim the 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 people the small people who get crushed on the wheel of like you know people right. larger people trying to gain power and in these last seasons, I feel like everyone, everyone in any given scene is like a major character. It's sort of like all coming together and it's like, Oh, I know that person, that person. And you sort of miss the Roses, the, like the flesh on the bones of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? So it's fun.
2: Right. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Um, And, you know,
0: in these early seasons you go from a show nobody knew necessarily in season one was going to be a thing mm-hmm. in season two, you see like a, a small leap in the budget. I think they leaned on HBO to get some extra money for their big battle scene. And then season yeah. three, it's growing. So what was your experience over those three seasons of watching the show sort of become bigger and bigger? How do you tell when you're on a bigger budgeted show, a more well-regarded show? What does that look like to you?
2: Uh-huh. I mean, um, I want to say it's billboard space, but I remember very distinctly, um, I moved to LA, I think it was two weeks before season one came on air. Um, So it was prior to like knowing how big the show was going to be. But I do distinctly remember driving down Sunset and, you know, on the big, which building is it? That building on Sunset Boulevard that always has like a huge HBO the oh, right, right, down, yeah. like the whole mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and i was driving down and there was game of thrones like on this <laughs> tower, on. So, and i was like oh my god <laughs> this is bigger than i thought yeah um so i think it was i think to me the evolution came more in yeah i mean i was aware that they had you know more budget and um and obviously you know the the fan base was growing but i think for me it was how much game of thrones became infiltrated popular culture in general so you know that winter is coming became like just a saying and uh, you know where are my dragons and all of these like little sound bites um and character types Mm -hmm. from from game of thrones suddenly became something that the, your average person on the street was talking about and I think that's when I realized like wow this is this is big like this is really um, I don't want to say historic because that sounds too dramatic but one of those shows that is, or is going to go down in history um, yeah it was it was it was surreal and I really think that and, you know prior to Game of Thrones coming out, Instagram wasn't that big and people were kind of on Twitter but the you know, as Game of Thrones grew, so did you know the majority of the social media platforms for actors and actresses. So it's kind of insane to me when I now see the the, the sheer number, the sheer following that the cast um, on the show have now. It's it's nuts. <laughs>
0: Right, you mentioned you mentioned Game of Thrones being used sort of elsewhere in the culture. I don't know if it gets more surreal than uh, you know Donald Trump using a "the wall is coming" sort of I Game
2: know. of Thrones meme. <laughs> you're like, okay, No, right? That's the point at which you're like, wow, this is <laughs> got, gone too far, maybe. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do remember in season one they did um, a skit on SNL and. It was funny because I think this was prior to my, I think it was in season two, actually. And I think um, they had no idea, like the researchers didn't know what my my character's name was and, you know, can't really blame them. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was a girl on it who was quite clearly supposed to be me. She had like curly red hair. She had like the exact same dress on and she was just, character name was just like a prostitute i think and she's talking about and i was like that's it i was like that's me that's clearly meant to be me on snl i've made it (laughs) it's it's happened
0: (laughs) um yeah that's i mean we can all we can all dream to be a prostitute on snl no that's right (laughs) dream big girl (laughs) and then you've you've um You've kept up with the show as as a fan uh, in yeah. in the years uh, since. Can you remember, you know, a moment just watching as a fan? I don't know the moment that struck you as the most joyous or or scary or anything like that.
2: Um, I mean, still one of the most horrifying moments. That's easy, easier for me, maybe. <laughs> I <sure>. think one <laughs> of the most horrifying moments um, was when the mountain crushes and I can't remember the guy Oh, Oberon. Yeah. Oberon. Thank you. Pedro, yeah. I believe is the name of the actor. Yes. Um yes. but when he crushes it that for me was like, oh you guys. I was like, seriously, you, you <laughs> did not just do that. That's too much. <laughs> um I was truly disgusted by that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the most thrilling, I mean, obviously Joffrey dying is kind of a fairly obvious one. But when, yeah, when Joffrey choked to death, I was jumping around my living room cheering um, and really joyous. Um, I think the Red Wedding, even though I kind of knew it was coming, took me as much by surprise as it did everyone else. um, The sheer brutality of that. Um, But I think, you know, in in this last, Season seeing Sansa and Arya reunited, and yeah. then you know playing a dance around Littlefinger, and then killing him. Arya killing him was brilliant. I said, this is so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was like one of those storylines. I was like, this is just genius. This is so clever. It's smart. It's ironic, and it's yeah. It's too like. Badasses coming
0: together—it was brilliant. <laughs> Watching Joffrey and Littlefinger, the two men who abuse Roz, maybe the most, die or yeah. are highlights yeah. for you of Game of Thrones. Fair enough. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of death, one of my favorite things to talk to people who have died on Game of Thrones about is yeah. the is the phone call that they got from Weiss and Benioff because oh, yes. I know that that's something Dan and David do. Uh, what was yeah. your What was your phone call like? Uh, it was
2: really it mean. was really awkward. I mean, oh, I, no. I had a suspicion something bad was coming because they hadn't sent me the scripts and it was getting closer and closer to um, my start date. And, you know, it's very... Like, Game of Thrones have the scripts written and ready like way before filming begins. It's not like filming an episodic where you might get the script like a couple of days before. So I was like, this is weird. I haven't heard from them. And then I get this email... From their assistant saying, "Can I get on a conference call?" I'm like, "Wow, this doesn't seem good. (laughs) This can't be good news." And they called me from Belfast on conference call together, and they were just making small talk and just talking crap. (laughs) Those guys, I loved them so much. But I was like, "You guys didn't call me all the way from Belfast on a conference call." to just chat about the weather so right. it was really awkward I could oh. tell they like didn't want to have to do it it was like an awkward breakup um but you know it was fine and they're so sweet they were you know very kind and apologetic but they did not tell me how I was going to die so to this day I'm like you guys totally whooshed out on this <laughs> part of the call We like, say, oh and FYI is going to be Joffrey killing you
0: Right, and you're just going to be so, studded with arrows and it's going to be yeah, super brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: by the most the most repulsive character on the show, possibly. So, yeah, they sent me a script the next day and I saw saw that scene and i was like, "Oh, I can't believe it, you guys." And
0: what was it like filming that that last moment for Ross? Uh,
2: it was it was hard. It was physically actually a lot harder than it looked. Um, you know, the Prosthetics didn't take that long. It wasn't that bad in terms of, um, you know, being in the makeup trailer for hours and hours. But I didn't expect that holding my hands above my head and bearing weight on my wrists would be as painful as it was. And it actually was, that was the most difficult part of it. And just keeping my arms there for a length of time, um, was challenging. That was really, really physically challenging. And the next day I had this like weird, Pulsating muscle in my shoulder. I could look over at my shoulder, and the whole my whole shoulder was sort of oh like oh my god, your battle your battle wound. Yeah, yeah. I was like, look at this, like spasming muscle. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was very surreal. it wasn't actually the last scene I shot. So I, you know, I actually was resurrected and then went to Croatia and yeah. <laughs> shot the first the first season that I did in season three. After that, so. I think it it, it it felt sad, but it wasn't as bad as I think it could have been if it was literally the last time I'd ever I'd ever shot on the show. Right, just dangling there,
0: and then yeah. you know, <laughs> and then my 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 last question, and I'm going to ask everyone, you know, not looking for spoilers because who knows what you know. Hopefully, nothing. But like nothing, <laughs> n- b- nothing. But what do you like as a fan, as someone who still watches the show? What do you like? Is there something you want to see? Uh, in the finals, I
2: mean, I would love to see things be happy ever after for Tyrion, but I just don't think that's going to happen somehow. I don't know. Just because I don't think happy endings happen in Game of Thrones. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I would love to see Tyrion triumphant um, because I think he's such a, I mean, he's such an amazing character for starters um i think he's possibly one of the few good people on the show um in terms of being you know a a sound character (laughs) um but then you know i'm house stark and i'm always going to be house stark so as far as i'm concerned if you know one of the one of the um stark girls triumphs that's going to be good for me good enough for me but yeah i just don't know it's it's so hard because you can't really get attached to anyone. Exactly. If we've learned anything. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you're going to have your heart broken <laughs> one <laughs> way or the other. Um, but I sort of hope it's none of the obvious people end up sitting on the Iron Throne. I guess that's that's like the big thing for me um, is, you know, as much as I think da- Daenerys is awesome, I think that's like too obvious. I want to see like the underdog triumph <laughs> in yes. a big way. So, Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Let's um, let's root for the roses of the world to sit on yeah. the iron throne. Why not? Ex-
2: Why not? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, I'd be lying if I didn't want to see what happens like when the White Walkers get onto the other side of the wall, which is about to. Ha- oh, did did they actually get on the other side at the end of the season, or were they just? I know the Ice Dragon appears and then. Yeah, I think they I started to
0: like basically breach. It. They're breaching. It. They're breaching the wall. They're breaching basically. the wall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So can Oh right. <laughs> yes <laughs> excellent well thank you so much for chatting with You're me you so really
2: appreciate it, it was yeah. so nice
0: to talk to you <laughs> okay that wraps up our first episode of still watching Game of Thrones you can find more of our work on com. you can follow Richard on Twitter at Rylaws you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez and we will be back next week with the second episode in our list, which is season one, episode nine, Baylor. See you then.